immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by Holoplot, the technology that features the award-winning X1 Matrix speaker array and integrated software that enables 3D audio beamforming and wavefield synthesis. Holoplot is pivoting the revolution in sound control that allows for a completely new way of designing and experiencing immersive audio on a large scale. To find out more, visit holoplot.com. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 84, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell. It's just me today. Monica is traveling. She's traveling to London. We actually never met in person. I've uh, been doing this podcast for two years now. Very excited to meet my co-host in real life. We had a bit of a break. Um, I just came back from a couple of trips myself. I just attended the AES conference in Huddersfield on spatial interactive audio, which was absolutely amazing and probably deserves a discussion in its own merit. Loads of cool people and things. Stay tuned for that. And uh, also had a great privilege to attend the 80th International Venice Film Festival, where a couple of projects were world premiered and exhibited. And just go back into really hot London. And, and that's it. That's the update. That's what happened for the past few weeks. Um, I have very exciting guests today, Alejandro Cabrera from Audio Brewers. Alejandro is an audio developer originally from Colombia and based in Athens, Greece currently. And he's a founder and lead developer of Audio Brewers. Alejandro has an extensive education in music and sound design. He's been developing audio tools for over 10 years now since he created his first sample library, K Footsteps. Also, whilst working at Audio Productions as a producer and later creative director, Alejandro was involved in the development of over 100 sample libraries. Additionally, he participated in the development of the sequential Dave Smith's Profit X and Excel 2019. Alejandro founded Audio Brewers in 2020, the first company to develop virtual instruments recorded, mixed and delivered in ambisonics for dedicated, immersive and spatial audio productions. Alejandro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Oliver, for having me here. I, it's such an honor and a pleasure to be here in the Immersive Audio Podcast. We've been going back and forth uh, online, teasing the idea of <laughs> doing an interview, and we finally found a way. Why don't we go back to all the way to the beginning? Could you please tell us how you got into spatial audio to begin with? So, you know, the study of me and spatial audio goes back to when I was a student in music. I was always obsessed with the fact that how is it possible that there's been so many decades of stereo and nothing new has come out, you know, in, you know, the area of audio. And I always wanted to be able to feel music, not only in my left and in my right ear, but I wanted it to have depth, you know. So when I was studying music, I was also involved in projects that um, had to do with uh, composing music for short films or sound design. And I always was trying to just create, you know, this depth and this in these improvised environments of uh, 5.1 systems and everything. And so after 
many years of being working uh, creating sample libraries, I kind of got bored of the same um, rinse and repeat method of just recording instruments in stereo, like with, I don't know, five or six pairs of microphones, but always in stereo, you know, bi-dimensional. And I was like, you know, like there has to be more than this. So this is when I just decided to quit my job back then and start Audio Brewers, which was like literally that. I wanted to record musical instruments, but instead of being in stereo microphone pairs, uh, for them to be like immersive. And I was just trying to find the best way to approach this immersive experience. And this is how I landed in Ambisonics. I'm just curious, um, personal level, what the upbringing was like in back in Colombia, back in the day. What were your influences? Which part of Colombia are you from? <laughs> yeah, so I'm from Cali. It's like the third city of Colombia. You know, uh, in the city where I'm from, there is like a very homogenic culture all around salsa music, you know. And uh, since I always liked rock music and stuff like that, like finding my way in the city where everything is all around salsa was pretty difficult. And this is why I always wanted just to, you know, live and see the world and listen to new types of music. So when the internet started and I started seeing, you know, opening my horizons, listening to new stuff and everything, I was like, yeah, I definitely <laughs> have to live, you know. I just back then didn't appreciate what I had, which is something that I do now because now that I'm far away for so many years, Every time I go back to visit, I just feel that there is so much richness in that type of music that somehow I feel that I missed all those years uh, with that type of music. But, you know, I mean, you lose some, you win some, and this is how life goes, you know. <laughs> Let's talk about Audio Brewers. What do you do as a company and what motivated you to create the company? So basically, my first and most important motive was what I mentioned before, which is like I was completely bored of creating tools, of creating um, virtual musical instruments, just following a pattern that just got repeated in um, our market, which is like record this instrument with like five or six pairs of microphones and then just do six or seven uh, stereo mixes. And, you know, we are in 2019 or, or 18 or 17. And back then, you know, um, already the technology was there to be able to create um, um, to be able to record instruments with depth and with, and with height. And I always tried, you know, to pass the idea, you know, why don't we just create something that, you know, contains a little bit more of, of life, you know, uh, living these two dimensions. Um, but, you know, this is not what the market was looking for back then. And, you know, this is why I just couldn't take it anymore and just quit and created Audio Brewers because I wanted to be able to... Um, take these types of decisions uh, in the company myself. And this is how Audio Brewers was born. Initially, the company was born like um, as a company for creating virtual instruments in first order Amazonics. But then I saw that there was a massive gap between the um, ordinary sound engineer and the tools that were out there for Ambisonics. Uh, they were way too difficult uh, where uh, way too many dials, way too way too many controls, and I saw I could feel that the ordinary sound engineer was not um, having an interest in these type of tools because they were just too complicated. They needed way too much time. 
for, uh, to learn, you know, and this is when I decided to just launch my own line of plugins because I wanted just to, to close that bridge, to close that gap, you know, to make these tools a little bit easier. And nowadays, Audio Brewers does that, you know, both uh, virtual instruments in Ambisonics for immersive audio, for immersive music, and um, um, plugins for immersive audio. But everything with the philosophy that it's got to be easy, it's got to be understandable, and it's got to be on the reach of any uh, sound engineer. They don't have to, you know, have a master's degree in <laughs> in Ambisonics to be able to to work with our tools. Yeah, and, and I have to concur with that. I've used your tools. And I must say they, they come across very straightforward, very clean on appearance, straightforward to use. I think uh, for the benefit of anybody, understanding what's going under the hood is, is very important. You know, there are different levels of users and also sometimes you just want to maybe be creative and kind of um, don't be overwhelmed by in, insane amount of controls and, and things because that can just take away from creativity. These kind of tools can be used for for specific engineering tasks where perhaps you want to achieve a very physically precise or mathematically precise function. Uh, and I think in that case, maybe that would be more suitable to be able to access that level of control. But uh, there are loads of creative people, musicians who don't necessarily want to know or need to know um, all the nitty gritty that you know goes along with it. Ambisonics, it's something that gets mentioned pretty much every single episode because it's such an integral component format in everything we do. But I don't think we really have addressed Ambisonics as a topic in, in its own right, in, in depth. Um, so I would like to take this opportunity uh, today and kind of maybe uh, shine a bit of a spotlight to the topic of working with Ambisonics. And as, as somebody who develops the tools for the format, I'm sure you have a lot of great insights. So with that in mind, I just wanted to, again, to reiterate that Ambisonics really are at the heart of what we do as a spatial audio community. It's one of the more superior formats or one of the key formats. In your personal opinion, why do you think Ambisonics is such an important format as a workflow paradigm, but also as a distribution method for immersive media? Okay, so I believe that the answer to me personally is quite easy. The fact that there are no speakers, to me, that puts sound into a completely new perspective. In Ambisonics, you have a sphere of audio around the listener's head and no speakers. Whereas when you're working with discrete channels, you have like one channel equals one speaker. And when you have speakers, then you are limited to the fact that whatever you're mixing is going to be encapsulated into just one discrete channel and you after and, and after mixing you will not be able to modify where the sound is without having to just fake um, you know with positioning tools and whatever um, uh, new um, uh, new places in Ambisonics there are no speakers or we could say there are infinite speakers because you have like the complete sphere and then you do your mix, and then whatever mix you do, you can then adapt it to whatever amount of speakers in whatever placement you want them. 
And to me, that is fascinating because you can do your mix and you can be sure that it doesn't matter if a person is going to listen to it in stereo, in 5.1, in 7.1.4, or in whatever speaker array, it's going to sound fine because there are no acoustic holes. The whole sphere is complete. And so this is what I love about Ambisonics, that it is a great format for being able to make sure that your mix is always going to be full of audio, even in the places where you might never hear, you know, because I don't know, if you're working with a stereo pair of speakers, you might never hear what's going on behind, just the reflections of it. But, you know, the information is there. And that's what's beautiful about it, that afterwards you can just rotate your recording or your mix and you're going to just, you know, listen to what was there in the back. That to me is amazing. Shall we talk about the portfolio of tools that you've created for Ambisonics? Um, what are the unique features that are available as part of this tool set? And, and what motivated you to focus on these particular features for either creative or technical reasons? So the kinds of tools that I make for Ambisonics, it's very, it's very wide at this point. I can tell you that, okay, from the very beginning, um, I was doing these um, virtual instruments in first order Ambisonics. The reason I chose first order Ambisonics is because the first order Ambisonics format has just four channels within, you know, the file. And so when you are playing with uh, virtual instruments, you are playing with, I don't know, five, 600 voices simultaneously and just doing a higher order, which with more channels will just strain your drive. And this is why I unfortunately had to choose first order Ambisonics. So on the musical side, I do first order Ambisonics virtual instruments. Then on the plugin side, we have a big variety of tools at this point from the typical encoder, decoder, transcoder uh, of Ambisonics formats to and from discrete channels, which is like a stereo to Ambisonics or Ambisonics to stereo or Ambisonics to 714 Dolby Atmos formats, something like that, to tools that are a little bit more used in the market, which are like reverbs or delays. But the beautiful thing about these reverbs and these delays is that they work under the hood in Ambisonics, meaning that whatever sound you pass through them, even if it's a mono stereo or even an Ambisonics uh, sound, it's going to um, unfold three-dimensionally within the plugin and all the reflections or the bounces in the delay or whatever, it's going to really happen three-dimensionally. And this is just going to give back to you an Ambisonics signal. And finally, we have some tools that I like calling uh, impressionism in immersive audio, when is when you grab the dimensional planes of the three-dimensional feel, and then we apply effects to these dimensional planes without really paying attention to the fact that they are dimensional planes. This is an experimental approach that I started doing with a stutter that I did. So in this stutter, you can have the sound stuttering you know, in the width dimensional plane, the depth dimensional plane, and the height dimensional plane differently. So the result is a very experimental, somehow immersive, but not really, uh, type of sound. And yesterday we released our second Impressionist plugin, which is a pitch shifter, which works in the same way. So you can um, bend the pitch of the width plane or of the height plane or of the depth plane and you can hear in the acoustic sphere that something very weird is going on because it doesn't really have to do with the dimensions, 
But at the same time, it does because you're modifying them, but not in a coherent manner. So these are the type of tools that we have at Audio Brewers. As far as I know, you one of the very few developers on the market who create tools available in 7th order, as well as in all DW uh, plugin formats, such as audio units, VST, and AEX for Pro Tools. Are there any technical challenges associated with working with such higher spatial resolution as well as um, and try to hit all major DAW plugin formats as well? Oh, absolutely. It's been such a challenge to address this because there are so many things that I have to uh, pay attention to. First of all, in the development side, because Ambisonics is, as I told you before, not a discrete channel type of thing. You cannot just simply run a DSP, uh, for example, a reverb in channel one, two, three, four, or as many channels as there are, because Ambisonics decoding works with phase differences. So if, for example, you were to put a reverb in channel zero, one, two, three, four, and whatever, the phase of the original audio is going to change and consequently the spatial information of the sound is going to change. So developing an algorithm to be able to respect all these types of things, you know, to not really modify um, the phase in a way that is going to mess up my spatial information was the first challenge that I had. Then the second challenge that I had was the types of DAWs that there are. You know, you have some DAWs that are only for stereo sound, like Studio One, and then you have some others that are extremely flexible, like Reaper. You have some others that are extremely closed, like Logic. Being able to make an algorithm that adapts to all of them and that at the same time can try and take care that your signal is healthy, because this is one of the things that our plugins do, is that they're constantly checking if your signal is proper. And if it is not, it's just going to tell you, you know, this is not an ambisonic signal. Could you please check your audio? It was quite a challenge. I had to create a very complex type of thing, you know, that would um, adapt to all these conditions. And all this was based on Ambisonic's orders all the way to the third order. That was back then what was uh, supported by major DAWs. And then Pro Tools came out with the seventh order and then VST 3.7.8, I think it was, the SDK came out with the seventh order support. And then I had to go back, you know, to the first plugin and see, okay, I'm, I have to, you know, expand this thing and I have to make it work for seventh order. Some of the plugins that I have have already been adapted to seventh order, such as the delay that I have. But some others are much more complicated because of the way they work under the hood, like the, the starter plugin that I have. But, you know, I'm trying to get there and I can say with uh, confidence that the plugins that are going to exist from, you know, the moment uh, Pro Tools with seventh order support and on uh, exist, uh, all these plugins are going to be compatible with seventh order Ambisonics because I already have adapted my algorithm so that all these phase differences that I told you before are respected <laughs> in orders from first all the way to seventh order. It was quite a challenge, but I managed to do it. And I'm happy to deliver this in an easy way so that the user doesn't have to be thinking of the fact that, you know, I have a 64 channel wave or a four channel wave 
or is this Ambisonics or is it not? You know, my plugins are always going to try to adapt to the type of sound that you're throwing at them. One of the things I wanted to ask personally, I've been really curious about this for a while, um, working with the concept of upscaling, what is the exact process from from engineering st- standpoint? Because what I'm trying to get to is how do we create, how do we derive this um, additional information within this sound field uh, that is not smoke and mirrors or red herring, whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> it's actually um, it's actually giving us something new that is superior to the to original source file. So, like anything <laughs> you can give us on on this topic would be highly appreciated because I don't think it's been uh, properly covered before. So, with the upscaling thing, um, imagine imagine that you have a, a I don't know like a block of four pixels. You know, like two horizontal, two vertical. So you have a little square of uh, two by two, and for upscaling this uh, type of um, of um, of block, you will make the block bigger, and then you will place the original uh, pixels in trying to trying to to keep their original position. So, for example, if the block was two by two and you make it four by four, then the pixels are gonna be on the top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, and then you're gonna have empty information in the middle. So, what you have to do is try and fill this empty information. Um, if you were up mixing, I don't really know how you will do it. Maybe you could use like a reverb or maybe a filter or maybe you could repeat pixels so that you just fill the block. But when I'm upscaling, what I'm trying to do is analyze um, the empty spaces and, uh, and the spaces that contain information and try to extrapolate information so that you can fill the acoustic hole in a way that between pixel A and pixel B, there is some continuity. You know what I mean? And this is what I, I'm trying to do with the upscaler in, in, in our plugin. So this is why I limited the upscaler to three orders above the original, because at a point, if like I could have done an upscaler from first to seventh order, but you're just stretching it so much that it just it just doesn't really sound you know, like you don't really gain anything anymore, you know? So I found that um, after trying, you know, levels of upscaling, I found that about two to three orders above was enough, uh, was the sweet spot before the signal started to degrade and sound worse. Um, And at the point where the signal sounded the best. And this is pretty much how I addressed it. In terms of descriptive adjectives, when you upscale first order asset to third order, what kind of properties you tend to enhance or change and to what extent? And additional question there, are these kind of these properties work universally across different types of source material or it's highly dependent on what you're working with? So yeah, when I was developing the upscaler, I really was paying attention to that, to that specific thing. Like it has to work for music, it has to work for field recording, it has to work for whatever you give it. Even for synthetic Ambisonics files, I was trying synthetic, like created in, in Nuendo. 
And, you know, it was just a matter of finding the sweet spot where it sounds right, as good as, you know, in all these sources. There were points where the upscaler will sound better with, I don't know, music, for example, but it will sound worse with field recording or vice versa. And I just had to find the sweet spot where it sounded right in every type of recording. This is more or less the way I addressed it. Yes. Like I could have, I could have perhaps added a button, you know, so that the user could choose, oh, this is music or this is a field recording, but it will just go against my philosophy of, you know, this has to be easy. It has to work. As soon as you insert it, it has to work. You shouldn't have to interact at all. When you are using, for example, a first order ambisonic signal and you have, I don't know, a voice on the left and a voice on the right, it could sound very diffuse when, when you are listening to it in a, I don't know, 916 uh, speaker array. And so what this upscaler will do is it's going to create a much clearer image in the separation of these um, sources of sound that were recorded with the Ambisonics microphone. This is how the upscaler will help you. It will definitely increase the spatial awareness that an Ambisonics recording will have otherwise. Like at the point where I have even used uh, the upscaler with third order ambisonics recordings to make them six order, just to see how it works when I put the source of a, of a sound outside of the axis of a speaker. And you can literally hear that you're losing the sound, meaning that the definition of the location of the sound was enhanced. And this to me is, um, is the core of what the upscaler does. It will definitely increase the awareness of the sources of the sound that were um, being recorded by the microphone. What problems are you typically solving with your tools? And what do you believe is still missing on the market and that can be and should be improved? And it's something that can be part of your future roadmap for development? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, the biggest and foremost problem that I'm trying to cover is the lack of ease. There are wonderful Ambisonics tools out there, but as you mentioned before, they're way too focused towards mathematical precision, towards control, towards uh, being able to do things um, uh, with precision. Um, I am trying to offer all these Ambisonics tools to people who are working in something that has nothing to do with Ambisonics because I feel that until the Brewer started releasing uh, plugins, all the Ambisonics plugins that were out there were focused towards people who work in Ambisonics for doing stuff in Ambisonics for uh, focusing their work in Ambisonics. Like it was too, I felt like research oriented or scientific oriented. And, you know, being a sound engineer is not only a scientific type of profession, but it's also an empirical one. And I wanted to be able to offer um, tools that where you don't really need to spend much time in the plugin. You know, my philosophy is like a tool, as soon as you insert it, it, it has to work. It has to do something. If it doesn't do anything and you have to control it from ground zero, to me, it's it, it cannot be part of my arsenal, you know, because I'm trying to think of 
engineers that are doing sound design uh, where they are perhaps using, I don't know, 15 plugins in, a, <laughs> in an insert chain, they cannot spend 10 minutes trying to figure out how a plugin works. It has to be in a matter of seconds, you know? So as soon as you put a plugin in and you move a, a knob a little bit, it has to do something meaningful. Otherwise, he's going to ditch it and he's going to go for something easier. You know what I mean? So maybe uh, my plugins are not offering you as much control as an IEM plugin is offering you, which because these plugins are completely amazing. But... With, I don't know, for example, AB Vortex, you are just inserting a reverb and just pressing a button and just getting sound. And that's, to me, what's important. It has to be easy because not all sound engineers are familiarized with what uh, Ambisonics is. And I am sure that not all of them care about what it is. They just want immersive audio for their Dolby Atmos mix and they need something that works and they need it without having to read the manual and without having to spend 10 minutes trying to figure out what a knob does. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a poignant moment, uh, I must say. As immersive audio is becoming more and more of a standard and becoming more ubiquitous and available in all kinds of audio verticals and industries, yeah. the general user base of that utilizes spatial audio in their work is growing and diversifying and not everyone needs to have PhD in spatial psychoacoustics exactly. in order to work with spatial audio. So you, you're definitely relevant in terms of um, addressing um, a new emerging part of the market. Maybe, maybe your typical musicians, you know, who just want to get on with writing music and concentrating on the melody and the, the emotion, the, yeah. and maybe the, the, the arrangement, not necessarily the, the physics and the spatial properties of the tool. You know, this should be a choice and different people can choose what they prefer. And it's funny because in our latest uh, plugin, I created like a pad, which made things even more holistic, which is like when I was creating the pitch shifter and I was creating all this plugin that it, it already contained too many dials for my taste because not only can you control the the dimensional plane, but you can control each dimensional pole. So you have, you have like the, I don't know, the dial for the left, right, front, back, bottom, top, mid, you know, and the volumes for each. And I was like, okay, this has too many controls. I'm just going to create a plugin that is even easier than this. So I created a pad where you don't even have knobs. I wanted to just experiment with offering to sound designers a more holistic way where they can just find a sound with their ears without having to spend time you know, uh, thinking of, okay, this is 12 semitones and this is 50% viscosity or something like that. Just move the pad and it'll do something. And if it works for you, that's cool, you know? So I was trying to make it even more fun, you know, to, to, to design sound with because sometimes plugins are too complex or too boring. As we are recording this interview on Wednesday evening, literally less than 24 hours ago, you have announced the release of pitch shifter new tool that you already talked about during this interview. What I wanted to ask you specifically is to talk a little bit more about this concept of impressionism. Impressionism in immersive audio. What you're referring here specifically is uh, using dimensions of uh, one domain and control the properties of a, a, a different domain. In this case, we're talking about uh, your pitch and uh, roll, um, and you're controlling the pitch. 
So can you can you give a little bit more background how this concept um, came about or how you how you decided to utilize it in this in such creative way and how does it work? Okay, so the impressionism in immersive audio concept landed to me when I was creating the stutter. In the beginning, I was creating a, an ambisonic stutter, uh, but you know, I was creating a stutter that was just stuttering whatever was coming in. It was stuttering and it was going out, you know? So it was kind of boring because, you know, these plugins already exist everywhere. Um, and then it came to me, like, the way Impressionist painters were using the colors not to represent whatever they were painting in a realistic manner, but instead to express feelings, you know? The Impressionism in spatial, the Impressionism in immersive audio was using the dimensional planes for other things than three dimensions. So in the example of the stutter, I added this option where you could only stutter what was going on on the left pole and on the right pole of the listener. So for example, if you had a monophonic voice or I don't know, a stereo recording of a voice and you will stutter the left and the right, you will hear as if the voice was in the middle without stuttering, but out of phase, the left and the right uh, were stuttering in a very weird way. And if you add the depth dimensional plane, then you will have the stuttering of whatever is in front and behind you. And if you add the height dimensional plane, then you have whatever is on top and below you a stuttering in different ways. So what you are creating is from one source of audio, you are pretty much dividing it in three. And then these three different dimensions that they live only where they live, which is the width dimension only lives on the left and on the right and the depth in front and behind, etc. They will have their own properties and then they will interact with the other dimensions so that whenever you decode this audio, you don't really get a voice that is happening in a three-dimensional space, but you get like three different types of voices moving at three different types of rates in three different types of dimensions. So with ABP Shifter, what I did was split this further and increase the order because AB Stutter works up to third order ambisonics, whereas ABP Shifter works up to seventh order ambisonics. So what I did here was allow the user to grab this dimensional plane and split it in two so you can control what is happening on the left pole, on the right pole, in front, behind, on top and below, and in the mid, independently. So when you start bending the pitch of the sound that has been three-dimensional recording, a realistic sound, and you start bending the pitch of these dimensional poles, you can hear when you're decoding that the phase relationships that exist between the dimensional planes in the channels create these unique sensations of you listening to a very distorted sound with very weird pitch modifications, but you don't really know what's going on three-dimensionally. You feel completely immersed by it, but it is not like um, I'm just grabbing the voice on the left and just lowering the pitch. No, it's I'm grabbing the pole of the left. So if there was a voice in the front left, the voice splits and you have the part that was in front and the part that was on the left. And this is where it just becomes something beautiful because you grab this thing that I mentioned before that contains infinite speakers and you pretty much create 
infinite types of pitch bends that you can then grab sound from in weird ways. And this was, I don't know if it was <laughs> clear enough, this was the concept of the Impressionism in immersive audio. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines. By chance, all nature's changing course, untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in the shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. Can you share your experience as an independent software developer, what it's like to manage this type of enterprise? Okay, so there is something very singular about this, and is that I have always been an independent developer. Even when I was working for ADO, um, I had a lot of liberty uh, because when I was a producer and then creative director, I was able to, you know, take decisions uh, for myself. And so I have never worked for a big company. I don't really know how big companies work, but I do know that they're much lower. The good thing about being an independent software developer is that I don't really know what I'm doing until it's ready. I'm going to give you an example. When I was doing the pitch shifter, I knew that I wanted a pitch shifter, but I didn't really know how many buttons would it have, what would it do. So I just start writing my code. I start creating all these things and I'm like, oh my God, it would be super cool to, for example, add a pre-delay control in the, in the dimensional planes. So I just add it, you know. I can imagine that if you were working for a big company, it would be like, okay, I must just go to production and ask if this is possible. And then the designer will have to see if it's possible. And it would be just a whole bureaucratic type of thing. When you are an independent developer, you have freedom on all these things. The other thing is that audio is not only my job, but it's my hobby. So I don't, I don't really know <laughs> about this balance that you talk about because... Even when I get bored, I just sit down and I start coding because this is what I like doing, you know? Like, I don't have any other hobbies. My hobby is audio. I don't, I don't care about any, anything else. So, um, and I am lucky enough to know that my wife supports what I do. So she's really patient with that because, you know, being able to differentiate whenever I'm working and whenever I'm playing between quotes, uh, it's difficult, you know, because even when I'm playing and in front of, I don't know, Visual Studio writing code, but I'm just trying new stuff, you know? Maybe this works, maybe this doesn't, but this is not work. And then I can mix these two concepts together and create my own plugins with my own independent word on, okay, this is ready, this is coming out tomorrow. Um, for example, uh, the pitch shifter uh, didn't have a pre-delay control until very last minute that I, that it came to me like, okay, maybe adding a, a, a pre-delay control in each dimensional plane could be cool. And I just added it very last minute, you know. I can imagine that working for a big company, this will have been a huge issue, you know. So it's a beautiful thing to be able to work as an independent developer in something that is your hobby. It's very important. What is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do? 
Well, you can definitely check out our page, audiobrewers.com, or you can follow us in any of our socials at audiobrewers, one word. Uh, we are in Instagram, we are in Facebook, we are in Twitter. And, well, you can always write me an email. You know, I'm always available. I love talking about what I do. So if you have any questions, any doubts, you can send me an email to alejandro at audiobrewers.com and I will do my best to get in touch with you and try to explain you in depth why I do the things I do and how they work and try to guide you in this world of immersive audio because it's not only about the ambisonics part. It's about the part that... Sound is not just left and right. It's all around us, above us, below us, in front of us and behind us. So yeah, this is where you can, you know, contact me. Alejandro, lastly, what piece of advice could you give that helped you in your career, your journey? The most important piece of advice for me is there is no plan B. When you start studying and perhaps you don't really know what you want to do in the future, you have to shape what... Um, your horizons are going to be, but you should never think of, you know, if it, if this doesn't work, what am I going to do? No, there is no plan B. You have to just focus on what you want to do and just go there, you know, no plan B. Don't waste time thinking of plan Bs. <laughs> All right. Well, Alejandro, thank you so much for your time talking to me today. I really enjoyed our interview and uh, uh, kudos to you for doing this exciting work for the community and uh, may long it continue. Thank you so much, Oliver, for having me. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast you've been listening to the immersive audio podcast hosted by oliver cadell and monica bowles this episode was produced by oliver cadell and emma reese and included music by rhythm scott got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.